0: We are in Genesis chapter 21, and much like last week, some of it may seem familiar. If you rewind back in your memory to Genesis chapter 16, the fallout between Sarah and Hagar, when after Hagar became pregnant with uh, Abraham's child, which mind you was Sarah's idea, um, trying to help the promise along. Right? I'm too old to bear children. There's no way that this child is going to come through me, therefore, Abraham, marry you know right take my servant Hagar as your wife and have a child through her. right So she was trying to help it was a mistake, but she was trying to help and so but that's what Abraham does. He didn't seem to object, unfortunately, and so after Hagar conceived. It said that Hagar looked upon Sarah with contempt. And in the Hebrew, what that means is that she despised Sarah. She thought Sarah was now insignificant. Sarah didn't matter anymore because, hey, Sarah is barren. The problem with them not being able to have children had nothing to do with Abraham, had everything to do with Sarah. I am now with child, ha, 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 right? And so she looked upon Sarah with contempt. She thought she was insignificant. And therefore, of course, in her pride, she irritates Sarah. And what happens is a family fight, right? A family feud breaks out. And it was just, I mean, it unfolds like a daytime soap opera, if you remember back when we were going through Genesis 16. And there was this quote by George MacDonald that says, Whatever man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed more miserably. Which is exactly what happened. So we're going to find out as we read Genesis 21 today, how much has changed in the last 14 years. Well, not a lot as we're going to find out. So let's read Genesis chapter 21. We'll be reading about promises, protection, and covenants. We're going to read the whole chapter. It says, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. Referring to Ishmael. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And when the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. And then she went and sat down opposite him, a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And she sat opposite him. She lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up! Up! Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hands, for I will make him into a great nation. And then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up and he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. At that time, verse 22, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham... God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. And when Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today." So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? And he said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because 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 there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. And then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the picture that we have here in these verses about how you were with us in all things and through all things, and how you fulfill your promises, how you protect us, how you're even involved in the little mundane things like property disputes and things like that, that you are in and through all, that you are eternal, and that we can put our faith in an eternal God who is the beginning and the end of all things. We thank you for that, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 11 verse 11 says that by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she was considered she considered him faithful who promised. Right? She considered God faithful who promised. So we see that promise fulfilled as it tells us right here in the very first verse, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Right? As God had said, as God had spoken, as it might say in your translation, as God had promised. He did what he had promised. Now remember, this promise did not happen because Abraham and Sarah were obedient or perfect Or anything along those lines. Because as we've been going through these verses in Genesis, since Genesis chapter 12, when really the promise was first laid out to Abraham, all the way up here through Genesis 21, we've seen Abraham and Sarah not perfect, right? We have seen them make mistakes. We have seen them, you know, stumble and fall, and get down, and get back up, and not necessarily even trusting the promise sometimes, thinking, oh, this must be, we must have to fulfill the promise, help God fulfill the promise, you know, God helps those who help themselves, no, that's not biblical, it never says that anywhere in the Bible, right, you know, all these different things, they, they, we gotta help God, and so they, they made all these mistakes, God didn't fulfill this promise because they were perfect. God fulfilled this promise for one reason and one reason, and that's because He is faithful to His Word. That's why God fulfilled the promise, right? The Lord is faithful to His promise. Now, here's the thing. He may not do it as quickly as we would like Him to, and you probably can attest to that. You can probably attest that the Lord, like, Lord, come on, let's just, come on, do this right now. Let's go, Lord. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Come on, Lord. Can you have done that yesterday, Lord? You know, you can probably attest to that, that he does not do things as quickly as we would like him to do. But the thing is, is that he is faithful. He will do what he promised, even when we are not faithful. Right? But we just need to wait on the Lord. We just need to be patient. Right? And therein lies the rub. Right? That, of course, is our downfall. Our kryptonite, so to speak, patience. We are not patient. I can't speak for you guys. Maybe you are the essence of patience, right? But in this, you know, on-demand, instant gratification culture in which we live today, patience—patience is not only—you know—they say that patience is a virtue. You know, patience is—it's a lost virtue. No one has that virtue. I don't know anybody who has who is virtuous and patience. Right? It's not only that, it's a lost commodity. N- nobody has patience. I don't know anyone with patience, right? Your brother. <laughs> if you're at a if you're at light and it turns green and you don't have your foot on the gas instantly, right, and immediately within a second of that light turning green moving, the car behind you is gonna honk his horn. Right? Because people are not patient. They are not patient with anybody. Patience is a rare, rare commodity, right? The Bible tells us, however, to be still before God and wait patiently for him. Wait patiently, right? Patience. God never told Abraham and Sarah how long it was going to take before he fulfilled the promise. He just promised them and said it will happen. I will come back, and it will happen. It wasn't until later when he said, I will be back here and about this time next year. They had to keep waiting on the Lord. And you know how it comes when it comes to waiting, right? That's why they kept getting getting themselves into trouble, because they weren't good at waiting before the Lord. They weren't still before God, and they weren't patiently waiting for the promise. They had faith. It said that Abraham believed him. Right? And it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed that God was going to fulfill the promise. Abraham just didn't know how long it was going to take or what it was going to look like. This is what kept getting him into trouble. Patience. We were coming home from Texas a couple of weeks ago. You know, when we flew back from Fort Worth. And when we, we got to Seattle early, we had a good tailwind or whatever, and it blew us right in. I think we landed like a half an hour early. Well, the thing about it was, is that our gate wasn't free. There was still a plane there, so they couldn 't park right, so we had to sit out on the tarmac in the plane for half an hour at least i don 't remember even how long ago how long it was waiting for the other plane right because we were early we didn 't have anywhere to go, so we just had to sit out there and wait in the plane, waiting for them the other plane to get full and back out and get clear so then finally we get to pull in and uh, unload after the plane, and then we have to go catch the shuttle to, take our, to go back to where our car is, the parking jet or whatever it was called, right? So we, we finally figure out where you're supposed to go to get the shuttle. We get down there, and we give them a call, and we tell them they're there. And now we have to wait patiently for the shuttle to come pick us up, to take us back to our car. And one shuttle comes by, and he sees us, and he's like, no, I'm full, I'm full, I can't get you. Right, And we just had to keep waiting for shuttles to come. We would have been home like two hours earlier (laughs) if the plane could have parked easily, if the shuttle could have picked us up right away. Patience. It kills me. (laughs) Right? It was killing me that day. You can see how patient I am. It was like, come on, just put me in the shuttle and take me back to my car. How hard is this? So imagine, though, Having to wait twenty-five years to see something fulfilled, right? Imagine—I mean, it had to be twenty-five years. I mean, you can—you know—hindsight's twenty-twenty. You can look back on and say, "I understand now." Abraham was hundred years old. Sarah is ninety years old. If the promise had been filled twenty-five years ago, it wouldn't have been as miraculous. It would not have been. But here, it's like I'm—we're as good as dead. That's kind of how they kind of looked at themselves. We're as good as dead. And here we are having a child. No wonder the child was named Isaac, right? Because when Abraham first heard it, he laughed. when Sarah first heard it, she laughed. I mean, everyone laughed at the thought that we're going to have a child. Oh, this is ridiculous. you know they they laughed for different reasons, but still they they laughed about it, and now that the child's born, they're still laughing about it. I can't believe this. I'm nursing the child at ninety years old. right Who would have thought that this would have happened i'm wish i I'm sure that they wished it had happened earlier, right. I mean, imagine trying to keep up with a young kid at 100 years old. I can't even keep up with my kids. And right? I'm only 53. I'm like, man, it would have been nice to have kids 20 years ago when I could have kept up with them. I can't, I can't keep up with kids. Right? But the Lord keeps His word, but it is on His time. It is on His time. And we have to remember that the Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. And we really, truly need to remember that today. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, because the Lord's patience means our salvation. That's what the Bible tells us. And that's something for us to remember specifically in the days in which we live. We have because what are we waiting for? We're we're patiently waiting for that trumpet to blow. Right? And for us to meet Christ in the air, for him to take come, he wants to come take us to him. But the Bible says we have to be patient. Right? We have to endure. We have to not shrink back in these times. So that we can receive what's been promised, and it takes patience. Right? Yet in a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Right? Through faith and patience, we inherit the promise. Patience. What did the promise bring Sarah and Isaac? Well, it it brought him laughter. It brought him joy. Right. God often turns our laughter of disbelief or a laughter of amazement or or whatever into laughter of joy it brought them joy right they shared great joy in the birth of Isaac right look when they when he was born and they're looking back at how they both you know responded originally both Abraham and Sarah They, they brought them great joy in the birth of Isaac now there's something else about Isaac you, we shouldn't we should touch on really quick before we move on, and that is, you know, uh, Isaac is a typology. Here, um, it means he's a picture of the coming Messiah. And he's a picture, he's a typology of Jesus in the sense that um, both Jesus and Isaac were promised sons. Um, Both were born after a period of delay. Both mothers were assured by God's power, by his his omnipotence uh, uh, concerning their birth. Both were given names rich with meaning before they were born, right? Uh, Both births occurred at God's appointed time. Both births were miraculous. Both births were accompanied by joy. And this also, even though we haven't really seen this yet, as it's coming, you know, next week, both Isaac and Jesus were submissive to the point of death. Now, Jesus is the only one who died. He went to the cross. But Isaac was willing to. Isaac was willing to be sacrificed by his father. We'll get into more of that when we talk about it. So it brought them great joy. And Isaac is a typology of Christ that we can see this foreshadowing, this picture of Jesus in. But with great joy can come great conflict. And that's what we see happen next, right? Through the somewhat familiar uh, and displeasing actions of Ishmael. Which I'm sure, you know, he learned from his mom to a certain degree it says in verse 9 sarah saw that the son of hagar the egyptian who was ishmael who had been born to abraham right who hagar had been who had born to abraham saw that the son of hagar was laughing so she said to abraham cast out this slave woman with her son for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son isaac <clears throat> now this is 2 or 3 years past isaac being born okay because it tells us that Isaac was weaned now, and they had, a, as was as was customary, they had a big ceremonial feast when he was weaned. So he's like two or three. Now they say he could he could that they're they're actually say that you know they could be weaned somewhere up into thirteen, fourteen years of age, but odds are he was probably two or three years old. So we're talking two or three years past his birth now. That this he's been weaned. They're holding the ceremony because he's been weaned and. Ishmael is mocking him. He's laughing at him. He's laughing at Isaac. Now Ishmael is 16 or 17 years old now. Okay? <clears throat> so just as when Hagar was with child and she looked upon Sarah with contempt, now Isaac's been born and Ishmael, her son, is now laughing at Isaac. <clears throat> Listen, you don't get between a mom and your kids, right? That's when mama bear comes out, right? Sarah says, send them away, right? They will not be here. Ishmael is not going to share in the inheritance with Isaac. That's it. Get them away. Send them out. Now, it says that Abraham wasn't happy without this. It displeased Abraham, right? (coughs) It it means he was distressed. He was sad. Why was he sad? Well, of course he loved his son, Ishmael. That's why he was sad, right? What? Now, you remember what Abraham's reaction was last time we had this family feud break out. Abraham said, she's your slave woman. She's your servant. You take care of it. Right? Abraham sort of washed his hands of the whole thing. I don't want to deal with this. I'm not getting involved. She's your servant. You take care of it. And Sarah did. Sarah did take care of it, rather brutally, as a matter of fact. She sort of beat Hagar and kicked her out of camp. But this time, Abraham is wisened up. He's learned a little bit. He's a little more seasoned. What does Abraham do now? He calls upon the Lord. Much better response. He calls upon the Lord. He calls upon the Lord. And God tells him, listen to your wife. it says that the hot tempered man stirs up strife but he who is slow to anger or he who is patient quiets contention if Abraham only knew now only knew then what he knows now maybe they had never been in this situation in the first place if all those years ago 16, 17 years ago he had called upon the Lord first before just trying to not get involved right they might not have been in this situation to be, begin with. But God tells Abraham, he says this. He says, don't be displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Listen to the language, just, just so you understand. There's a couple things that are going on here. One, God never refers to Ishmael by name. He refers to him as the boy. In Hebrew, that means the lad. It means servant. It means slave. It means retainer, actually. And he never refers to Hagar as just as back in Genesis 16 he never referred to Hagar as Abraham's wife even though Sarah said take her as your wife right he never referred to Hagar as Abraham's wife and he never refers to Hagar anything but the slave woman despite how we see people God sees things differently god never approved of the relationship and he and he doesn't give him any higher you know, standing than, than what he thinks they deserve, right? So he says, listen to Sarah. He says, your offspring, you know, th- is, shall come through Isaac, so don't worry. However, I will take care of the boy and the slave woman. I'm going to take care of them. Trust me, Abraham, right? The son of the slave woman, I am going to make a nation as well, Right? He just tells Abraham, trust him. And Abraham does. Abraham's fine with that. He says, okay. So in the morning he gives him some bread and some water. You would think that he would give them like a whole pack horse and, you know, all of this stuff to take with him. He was really wealthy, but he just gives them some bread and some water and sends them on their way. Why? Because God was with them. If God wasn't with them, it wouldn't have mattered what Abraham gave them. It wouldn't have helped. But God is with him. So still, he, doesn't, he knows that God's going to protect him and provide for him. So he just gives him some bread and some water and sends them on their way. You have to leave. Right? Abraham is the father of the Arabs and the Jews. Right? The Arabs through Ishmael, the Jews through Isaac. Right? And it says that they, uh, God just tells them trust him. Right? Cutting away the flesh can be difficult. It's, it must have been difficult for Abraham to send them on their way. Right? It says that they wandered about, that they went astray, that they staggered around. It's the exact same word that they used last chapter when we talked about Abraham's excuse about God. God caused me to wander from my father's house. It's the exact same word, right? That they are using here for them in the deserts, Hagar and Ishmael. So it says the Lord hears the lads' cry. Right? Hagar, t- they ran out of water, and it was really hot, and she thought they're they're going to die, so she takes Ishmael and she puts him in the shade of a little tree. And she goes about a bow's distance away because she doesn't want to watch her son die. Right? And she just cries out to the Lord. Well, the Lord says, I heard the boy crying. What's the problem? I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make him into a great nation. You have nothing to worry about. It says that he opened up her eyes and she saw well. And immediately, of course, she runs and she gets water and she you know, gets the boy to drink, and she drinks, and everything's taken care of. And he grows up, and he becomes a great hunter, and he learns to use the bow. And, of course, she's from Egypt originally, so she goes and finds him a wife from Egypt. And, and Ishmael lives, you know, you'll find out later, about to be 137 years old. And he is the father of the Arabs. And the Arabs and the Jews today are still at conflict with each other. But, but God did exactly as he promised. Again, God did what he promised took care of Hagar and Ishmael. Now, the Lord protects Hagar and Ishmael because of his promises, not because of any other reason, not because of who they are or what they've done, right? Because he promised Abraham to protect his descendants, right? And he looks at Ishmael as a descendant of Abraham, he says in verse 13, I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. And when you look in the Hebrew, that word for offspring means descendant. He doesn't say, you've got to pay attention because he doesn't really ever call him Abraham's son. Ishmael is called Abraham's son in the Bible more than once, but God himself only refers to him as the son of the slave woman and a descendant of Abraham. And I will protect him because I promise to take care of your descendants. So I made him into a great nation, because he promised, and he keeps his word. right? Remember Ishmael means "God hears." back in Genesis 16, He right? would Ishmael means "God hears." God heard the cry of his mom back in Genesis 16. That's when God told his mom, listen, he's going to be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he shall dwell over all his kinsmen. God's fulfilling his promises. Right? And he tells her again, he's going to, he's going to, I'm going to grow him into a great nation. Right? But we have to remember that Ishmael is the son of the slave woman. He's the son of the slave woman; he's not the son of promise. Right? Now, within all this story, within all this drama between these, you know, two sons of Abraham, between you know the the drama between Sarah and Hagar and and all of this stuff, there's an application, a spiritual application for us here. Right, and it starts, and we we can read about it going you know, into Galatians four, for example. And if you go into Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse uh, 22 or 21, if you want to, it says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, Paul writes, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, and he's quoting from uh, Isaiah 54 when he says this right here, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. And he says in verse 28, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So also it is now, and it still is today, at least between the Arabs and the Jews. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So he says, so brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Right? We are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So in Galatians chapter four, what Paul, who Paul is addressing here, what he's writing to, is these Jewish legalists. Right? They were terrorizing the churches in the region of Galatia, right? And so Paul says, "Listen, you are children of Abraham, absolutely. I'm not going to deny that you're children of Abraham. But there's a there's another question that needs to be asked here, right? Yes, Abraham is your father." But here's the bigger question: Who's your mother? Is your mother Hagar, or is your mother Sarah? And that's what he's asking them here in Galatians, basically. Right? Is your mother Hagar, or is your mother Sarah? Now, this type of conversation and this kind of dispute is throughout the New Testament concerning uh, the Jews and their relationship with Abraham, right? And whether or not they are sons of Abraham and how important that was to them, right? But even John the Baptist, if you go to Matthew 3, this is really interesting, when he's addressing the Pharisees in in Matthew chapter 3, I think you can find it in Luke as well. He says, don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. He says, I tell you, God is able to, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham, So John the Baptist is even telling these religious Pharisees, listen, don't presume that, don't think you're so great because you say you have Abraham as a father. God can make those stones children of Abraham. That doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. However, who's your mother? That's what Paul's asking. That's what Paul wants to know. Who's your mother? Hagar or Sarah? Right. Ishmael was born of a slave and born according to the flesh. Isaac was born of a free woman and born according to the promise. So whose mother are you? Is your mother the slave woman or is your mother the free woman? Right. Because these Jewish legalists that promoted a relationship with God based in bondage and according to the flesh. It's all about works, legalism. But the gospel, right, the good news of Jesus, is of grace. And it offers freedom in Christ and is a promise received in faith. Right? He goes on to say in Galatians chapter five, for freedom Christ has set us free, stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. That's what he tells him next. So what we see is this here with Ishmael and with Isaac is a picture of what is done in the spirit, Isaac, and compared to what is done in the flesh, Ishmael. And God's solution to Abraham was clear. Get rid of the son of the flesh. Get rid of the son of the flesh. There is no reconciliation with the flesh. There will be no peaceful coexistence with the flesh. The son of the flesh must simply be put away forever. God wants us to be ruthless with the flesh in that manner. That's why it tells us later on. Even Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter 5. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Crucify the flesh. Get rid of it. But then some people might say, well, that's all great and everything, but you're just talking about the Jews. You're just talking about Israelites. You're just talking, you know, but there's more to this. Right, there's more for us in this to help us understand what this all means for us in Christ Jesus. And for that we can go to Romans too, Romans chapter 4. And Paul writes in Romans, he says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith is null, and the promise is void, for the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope, so that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith, and as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, this is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone. Listen, they were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our jurisdiction." He goes on the right in Romans 9, For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. Who are children of the promise. You are a child of the promise. Galatians 3 verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Right? Understand? The blessings of Abraham have come to us because we are considered children of the promise through our faith in Christ Jesus. Jesus himself even addresses this somewhat. When he was talking also to the Pharisees and stuff like that, right? He says, I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. When he's given this conversation, he's telling them that their father is Satan, right? He's not being polite, to the religious leaders here. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to him, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. There's the qualifying line right there. You call yourself an Abraham's child, a children of Abraham? If you are a child of Abraham, then you will be doing what Abraham did. He tells them, you're not doing that. You're doing what your father did. Again, telling them that their father is Satan. He says, you're doing the works of your father. You're not doing the works of Abraham. But the point of that, Jesus is telling them that if Abraham was truly their father, then they would do the works that Abraham did. What did Abraham do? He believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Right? He lived by faith. Same for us. Right? Live by faith. Walk by faith. Just as we had just read, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Walk by faith. We are children of the promise. Now the chapter ends with this covenant made between Abraham and Abimelech. And again, it just shows that people were seeing who Abraham was Right? Abimelech shows up and says, hey, I see that in everything that you do, God blesses you. Right? Because of your integrity and the blessings on your life, I see that God is with you. So I want you know, to make a covenant with you so that, uh, basically so that I can be blessed too. Right? That's basically what he's saying. Right? I, I want to be on your good side, Abraham. I've treated you fairly. God is on your side, absolutely. So I just want to make sure I get treated fairly too. And Abraham says, yeah, absolutely. I'm fine with that. I don't have a problem with that. However, before we do that, let's settle this whole deal about this well. And he's like, well, well, I haven't heard anything about this. He says, well, I have a well I dug, and and you guys took it from me, but it's really my well, so if we're going to do this, you know, I'm going to lay out these lambs for you, these seven lambs, seven is the number of completeness, I'm going to lay out these lambs for you, and we'll sacrifice them, and that'll be the sign that this is my well, and He's like, no problem. So they do it, and it's all done with. Right? From that, you know, the question I have to ask is, they immediately recognize that God was with Abraham because of his integrity, because of the blessings on this life. And I just want to say, do people recognize that God is with you? Do they recognize through your integrity, right, through the blessings on your life, that God is with you? Because if they do... Maybe like Abimelech, they're going to want to make peace with you. They are going to make sure that (laughs) they're on your right side. Right? They'll say, just like Abimelech said to Abraham, don't deal with me falsely. Right? Treat me kindly as I have treated you. And you can say, I will. I will. Right? Now, just Bible trivia. That well that Abraham was referring to in the area that they called Beersheba, which is still today a city in Israel, Um, the well possibly still exists. There is uh, an archaeology museum in the city of Beersheba, and within the archaeology museum, which they built around the well, uh, there's two wells, and one of them they call Abraham's well. And they say that that is the well still there. You can find pictures of it online if you want to. It also says that Abraham planted the tamarisk tree right outside the museum. There's a right on the street there is a huge tamarisk tree. So maybe the same tree, maybe the same well. Who knows. It's cool nonetheless. If you ever get to Israel, go to Beersheba. Visit Abraham's well. It's still there. What do we take from all this? Well, Abraham has obviously grown up, right? Sure, he's 100 years old. But he's, he's grown in his faith. He realizes now that, he's, that the Lord is with him in all that he does. The, right? He's seen the Lord come through so many different times, and now his son Isaac, the son of promise, has been born. It's brought him great joy. And at the end of the chapter, which kind of ties everything together, at the end of chapter 21, it says that Abraham uh, calls there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. He calls on the name of the Lord, the everlasting, the eternal God. These things happened over a period of time. right? The promise was over 25 years. Abraham realizes now, not that he didn't before, but he's now calling upon the name of the everlasting Lord for the first time here in the book of Genesis. God's been with him through all of this. He's an everlasting God. He's an eternal God. He's in all things. He was with him through this promise that he fulfilled, though it you know it took him twenty five years. He's with him in the midst of conflicts between that they have between you know Hagar and Ishmael. He's 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 with him in the time uh, you know of conflicts he might have with his neighbors and property disputes and and things like that. From the little to the big, all these things, God's been involved in and has seen him through it, and He brought him through it. And when he got through it, there was joy. There was joy. When Isaac was born, there was joy for Hagar and Ishmael when God opened their eyes and showed them the well that they could drink from. There was joy for Abimelech when Abraham agreed to the covenant to treat him fairly because he knew God was on his side. All these things brought not just Abraham and Sarah joy, but other people that they dealt with joy as well. Listen, even through times of conflict, right, within your family or amongst your neighbors or, right, whoever. Just as Abraham did, you can keep a real and a true walk with God. You don't let these things drive you away from God. Instead, what you do is you allow them to push you closer and draw closer to God. And you seek out the Lord just like Abraham did, knowing that he is an eternal God. Right? we can be encouraged and we can find hope and we can grow in our faith when we understand that Jesus loves us in the midst of our foolishness, right? in the midst of our stumbling, in the midst of our mistakes, because we make those. We're not perfect either. right? Through circumstances which are out of our control, in the midst of turmoil and chaos and everything else that's going on, when the whole world's turned upside down, we can realize that, hey, we can be encouraged and find hope because we understand that God is with us from the beginning to the end. He's not going to leave us nor forsake us. Right? He keeps loving us regardless and He sees it through it. Right? He hears our cries, He directs our steps and He gets us through to the other side. And what do we get on the other side? We get joy. right? For His anger is but for a moment but His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night but joy comes with the morning as it says in Psalm thirty. On the other side is joy. We can be encouraged because when we serve the Lord, who knows the end from the beginning, who knows the first from the last, who is the Alpha and the Omega, who is the Ancient of Days, when you serve the Lord who is eternal, then everything else can burn up and crumble and fade away, but God will still remain. But you have to get to that point where you know that, trust that, believe in that, and walk in that. Sometimes it takes a while, right? Sometimes it takes a while. But also, in order for us to walk in that, we have to cut away the flesh. We have to cut away the flesh because we are children of the promise and the two cannot go together, right? The world we live in tells us just to do the opposite. It says, glorify yourselves, glorify the flesh, right? Praise the flesh, raise the flesh up, make an altar to it, right? Satisfy your flesh, However, we need to live to glorify God. We need to live by faith because the law, the flesh, can never give life. But God's promise when received by faith gives eternal life. Right? So we need to, as it says in Hebrews chapter 10, we need to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So hold fast. Amen?